Welcome to Mind, America's Lignite Energy Podcast, brought to you by the Lignite Energy Council of North Dakota. Here's your hosts, Kate Muggerud and Jeff Simon. Welcome to season three of Mind Lignite Energy in America. Thanks for joining us. We're excited to have you listening. We're excited to have you on the podcast today. As always, I have my great co-host, Jeff. Jeff, say hey. Hey, everybody. (laughs) Awesome, you guys. Thank you so much for being here. We just, uh, we appreciate all the listeners and, and the viewers that are part of this and that have been with us, you know, since season one. This has just been a really cool process to go through and and we just thank you for sticking with us all these seasons. Guys, today we have a great guest with us. I'm very happy to have her on the show, Nicole Nguyen. Uh, Nicole is a senior chemical engineer with Bar Engineering. Nicole, thanks for joining us and welcome. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. Awesome. Wonderful. So Nicole, you have a a project that we're going to talk about today and and kind of share with our listeners. Tell us a little bit about coal first. Sure. Uh, So, um, you know, back in like late 2018, the Department of Energy and Office of Fossil Energy had put out a request for um, concepts. Uh, They were looking to fund and advance technologies in coal-fired power generation. Um, the current coal fleets have a lot of challenges uh, ahead. You know, there's an aging fleet. Um, there's an increase in renewables. Uh, they're required to ramp up and load file, follow um, where, where existing plants, they were just not, not designed to do. Um, the duck curve, like out of California, if anyone's heard of the duck curve with the peak demand, trying to follow as renewables come on board. Um, they met, you know, literature will mention an alligator curve in North Dakota, uh, you know, they have it trying to get the plans to align with the demands uh, better in the future. Um, the DOE was also looking for grid reliability. You know, what do we do if natural gas costs is increased um, prep for grid security? You know, they even mentioned extreme weather events, you know, and so like the, the events in Texas um, really come to my mind when I think about that. Um, you know, it's important to build resiliency and reliability in the grid, prepare for extreme events. Uh, so I think, you know, that was what they were trying to do. They put out this request for proposal for coal plants of the future. First is an acronym, flexible, innovative, resilient, small, and transformative. Um, there was a number of requirements for a plant like this, the size requirement, they had to be like 50 to 350 megawatt net output. Um, they had to be built prior to 2030 to try to prepare for the increase uh, happening with renewables. Um, zero, like or near zero emissions, that includes carbon capture. Uh, the fuel load had to be like 70% coal at least. Um, we had to have energy storage and uh, high efficiency and high ramp rates um, was a couple of other requirements. So um, I can talk a little more about like our specific concepts, if that's okay. Yeah, um, absolutely. I'm soaking it all in. So share with us. So there was uh, 13 concepts awarded, um, you know, based on, on the response. And so this was like early 2019 then. Mm-hmm. Um 
we were awarded two concepts, two different concepts. Uh, one concept was not down-selected for um, further engineering, but we still got the concept study on it. And that was coal gasification, where you gasify coal, um, send that gas through a chemical looping system, and then split the gases with hydrogen, which would be made for power, storage, whatever, and um, carbon dioxide um, then would be sent to a pipeline that did not... Um, uh, get awarded for further engineering, but our other concept did, and that was a hybrid uh, coal boiler and integrated gas turbine um, concept, an ultra supercritical coal boiler um, with energy storage and carbon capture. We call it our HGCC concept. Mm. Um, that concept was, you know, flexible and resilient in a number of ways. Um, the, we have a boiler, the coal boiler, we have a integrated natural gas turbine that exhausts into the coal boiler. Um, and then we have a lithium ion vanadium flow hybrid battery. And so they all work together to try to load follow to meet that duck curve kind of requirement. Um, but at the same time, they can all run independently too. So if for some, for some reason you lose the gas or you lose the coal, or even in like a small duration, anyways, you, you would lose both. You have a charged battery. Um, you know, they, they can, uh, that resiliency is there um, with the repeatability of power generation. Um, it's innovative because we are using an indirect firing concept with the way the gas turbine um, exhausts into the boiler. Um, this enhances turndown ramp rates and the flexibility. Um, there's also uh, Microbeam had developed some uh, advanced technologies for controlling fuels uh, so that that adds to the innovation and uh, flexibility as well. Um, this plan is on the, yeah, go ahead. On the, when you said the duck curve for those of us, can you explain that just in layman's term? What does that mean? Yeah, so um, what's happening is... Um, you know, renewables are coming online. There, the peak demand between the uh, on, a, on a given day from day to night, um, the solar you know renewables are adding this um, you know hump in the middle of the day, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the demand um, for added generation is kind of creating a a duck shaped flow. This is happening in certain areas like California. You don't see it as much in, in other areas, but um, the grid has to, uh, you know, really meet those ramping requirements and demand, um, you know, to, to follow the load that renewables are causing. Interesting. Okay. Thank you. That makes sense. Um, uh, you know, the small, so I was thinking, the HDCC concept is on the, the higher end of like the size requirements for small, but it's still small enough that the gas turbine can be completely fabricated like offsite and then shipped whole to a site. So it reduces the construction and, um, you know, the um, fabrication requirements for that. Uh, the boiler would, is not, um, you know, it still has to be shipped over in pieces, but they, it's, you know, it can be a few larger pieces, um, you know, for the site. Um, and then the other way, I think that we, we really thought that this idea could connect with the industry was it has the ability to be retrofitted to like an existing power plant that 
They may have already, you know, done a lot of upgrades with the um, coal handling system and the environmental controls. Mm -hmm. Um, You could add uh, the boiler gas turbine concept in there first and, um, you know, keep using the coal handling and the environmental controls for something like that. Uh, You would be able to uh, be, you know, take on that, try to meet that duck curve kind of you know, demand with the uh, efficiency and the flexibility, the ramp rates, you know, uh, you'd also have some uh, benefit with the carbon emissions because you are dealing with a more efficient plant. And then later on, you can add the energy storage and uh, carbon capture system to deal with the more resiliency, flexibility, and the carbon neutrality that we're dealing with. Well, Nicole, I'm trying to, trying to get a picture in my mind of how this thing works. You said the gas turbine exhausts into the boiler which I, I would assume there's, there's a lot of heat in the exhaust, but then the exhaust doesn't have oxygen in it, does it? I mean, it seems to me it would maybe be counterproductive in that, in that sense. How do you get past something like that? Or am I, am I missing something? So you're asking if the combustion gases um, from the natural turbine exhaust uh, would affect how the boiler would, the performance of the boiler, I mean, like it seems you need oxygen to, to burn the coal, obviously. So I'm, I'm curious if, I mean, I, I see that it's adding heat to the boiler process. Obviously the exhaust gases are hot, but uh, I'm trying to figure out the other part of it. Where does the oxygen come from to keep it going? Yes, yeah. So we do have like added combustion air um, for, you know, that we're, we're using for this. So uh, the combustion gases from the turbine would, um, you know, provide that heating, added heat, uh, but we would still need some more air to, to make the combustion process happen. It still um, is a more efficient boiler compared to a traditional ultra supercritical unit. So when the term flexible is obviously the first letter in first, um, how does this allow you to, to like ramp up and down to meet those, those ebbs and flows in the demand curve? Um, so there's a number of ways that you would be able to operate with the, uh, you know, how the gas turbine is integrated into with the boiler, uh, you can, you know, run the gas turbine, uh, first and, you know, meet those ramp rate requirements and, um, you know, what can help with the, the getting the boiler up and running and, you know, making sure, um, uh, you know, cause it's going to take longer for that to ramp up. Um, you know, there's flexibility with, um, I'm trying to, trying to think the, you know, just the way you're using the energy storage, um, you know, we really have is just, you know, trying to, uh, augment it, you know, at night and versus the day and, um, you know, take on the energy demand for that. But, um, you can just run this, I guess, this integrated power generation in a number of ways. Um, I think the boiler itself to the way that the advanced controls are, it can, uh, you know, you can you be flexible and what kind of fuels is, is coming into the boiler, um, a lot more than a traditional boiler. Um, so I guess it's another way it adds to flexibility. Does that answer your question? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what, uh, what is the emissions solution or is there, is there no emissions solution this, in this yet? I mean, in terms of the, the carbon capture component. 
Um, so the we have an amine-based carbon capture system that we considered for the prepeed study for that. Um, you know, that, that's a high power demand. Um, one way that we integrated that was, uh, you know, there is some waste heat that we can use from the process of power generation and waste, different kinds of waste streams through the other, like we have a wet scrubber for environmental controls to, um, to clean up the gas before you can, it can reach the mean-based carbon capture system. Um, so there's uh, different areas of waste streams that we try to integrate everything together as much as we could. Um, but, you know, the efficiency of the boiler can, the carbon footprint around the emissions is going to be reduced compared to a traditional uh, ultra supercritical boiler. But, you know, to get that near zero emissions, you're going to need the amine based carbon capture system, which, you know, I think we selected because that was the most commercialized, um, you know, technology that's available for something like this. It sounds like a, a kind of synergistic operation. I mean, everything kind of works together, fits together, and I like it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, speaking of that too, so how did Bar Engineering get involved? I mean, it doesn't kind of seem typical um, for that. Is it, can you talk more about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we have a working relationship with uh, University of North Dakota, oh, sure. Microbeam, uh, technologies, um, Envergex. We've been working with them on uh, catches, carbon capture project, rare earth element extraction projects out in North Dakota. Um, so they were actually the ones that spotted this request for concepts um, coming out first. And, and they came to bar because uh, we worked together. We really liked working together, I think. And, um, you know, to, to see if we could brainstorm a you know, what a cool project, right? A cool plant of the future. Um, we're all working on power all the time, um, you know, working with the mines and, the, and coal. And we just thought it would be great to be a part of something like that. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, you know, they brought us in. Mm-hmm. Um, they, we also had to get like a, a, a quick, an original equipment manufacturer, um, you know, someone who's actually making and building these power generation systems And so together as a team, we started making calls. Um, And uh, Dr. Srivat Srinivasachar of Envergex had some contacts with Dusan Heavy Industries. Hmm. And uh, they were really open to the idea of being a part of our team. Um, They provided concepts to us, you know, based on, on, you know, their equipment and what they could provide. And um, together as a team, we all collaborated, you know, Dr. Steve Benson of Microbeam, uh, Dr. Michael Mann, engineer NASA of the University of North Dakota. Uh, we all worked together to find, you know, what was that concept that could really balance that fine line between, um, you know, being innovative and transformative, but yeah. also being able to be commercialized by 2030. You know, that was, that was a real complex idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so those are the two, the two concepts that I brought up before. That's what we came up with. Um, so, so yeah, really collaborative effort. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Barr was a lead for this project work. We managed the teams and the deliverables coming out. But yeah. I mean, there's so much expertise. We, we, we definitely needed, and, and it's a complex plant that we really all needed to work together 
um, Dusan was critical in providing the, the concepts for this. Um, you know, uh, you know, and Dean and for they worked on like how, how the carbon capture system was going to be integrated with the plant. You know, they did some modeling, um, you know, uh, microbeam had just provided that overall expertise about, you know, what to watch out for with, uh, the solid fuels when the boiler and, um, you know, they provided that advanced fuels control system for the plant of the future. That's really, really one of the one of the neatest things about this is when you said this can bolt onto an existing coal plant. I mean, we've heard of coal plants being converted over to natural gas. This is actually kind of supplementing the existing plant or enhancing its efficiency, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a neat, neat idea. Yeah, absolutely. So I recently we looked at a, a lignite industry pr- promo video and bar engineering was in it. So talk to me a little bit about what bars perspective is on the lignite industry. Yeah. Um, so we, um, you know, we understand the lignite industry is facing a lot of trans, a lot of challenges needing to transform fast for the future. Um, We have a long working history with our clients, with these kinds of projects. Um, We, and Lignite is a huge impact to our employees. You know, Monty, Amanda, and Ryan were in the video. They talked about, you know, how Lignite's powering their home and they, you know, that it's been, their families have been working in Lignite for years, but um, we've also been working with our clients, you know, just trying to find ways all the time of making the processes better, safer, um, finding different uses for, for lignite, critical minerals, you know, different ways of generating power. Um, so, you know, we, we see an industry and in challenge and needing to transform quickly. Um, but we also think we're all in this together to try to find solutions, put them on the table. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, that, yeah, that couldn't be, we're all in this together and, and you said that perfectly. So when you kind of look for, um, you know, the next five years or even the next year, what's basically on the agenda here for coal first? So, um, we finished the pre-feed last year, the preliminary engineering design for our HDCC concept and, um, I think the intent would be that, uh, you know, we'll be considered to move forward with the front end engineering design or the feed stage. Um, you know, that would just take a deeper dive into the details of some of the gaps that we listed, you know, making sure that there's a direct path to getting this built, um, you know, uh, any flushing out, any, any, you know, areas that would might need some further advancement. I think we had talked about like integrating modeling, um, you know, Dusan uh, has a lot of capabilities that they can do to try to advance, um, you know, so then they're putting together something that's like, uh, you know, a lot of commercialized pieces already, uh, but you still have to find a way to make sure that they're all going to integrate together and work, work appropriate, appropriately. So Mm-hmm. Um, the team is also larger, um, going into like this next stage, we have Kiwit providing like a larger EPC kind of view about how this project would be in- implemented. 
University of Illinois. What does that mean? Engineering, procurement, and construction. Okay. It's trying to, you know, follow like from design to build, building this thing, you know, and everything in between. So the University of Illinois is also involved. So there's more, you know, we're getting us expanding the interest across the region um, of the U.S. a little more. Um, You know, this, I think the intent would be the feed, the front end engineering would be about two years. You'd also look at, you know, how you're going to get this thing permitted and, uh, you know, the aspects around that. Um, And then ultimately the intent would be to build something and and have it operational by 2030. Yeah. I was just going to say part of the requirements was that it has to be operational by 2030. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a big piece to take on, right? Yeah. I mean, especially for what, what they're, what it's asking for. I mean, that's not something that's easily done. So it's when you talk about all these different agencies and, you know, it's a really collaborative effort is what it sounds like. And um, so with that obviously comes challenges. So how do you guys work together to basically execute this to ensure that, you know, 2030 deadline? Um, You know, I think staying connected with the industry, um, making sure that we're talking to to stakeholders and people that are involved. Uh, Definitely having that piece with, um, you know, the EPC part, uh, Mm -hmm. making sure that we're understanding the practicality. It's almost like you're going through, you know, you're trying to advance this technology, um, but, you know, you also have to have some structure around what's practical, what can be built, you know, um, you know, and what, and what's going to be long-term for the future is something that the industry is going to, is, is, it's going to last and it's going to, you know, want to be there for a while. So um, I just think, you know, it's not, not just us working together in our, in our multifunctional group of, you know, experts, but it's also reaching out to the region stakeholders, the stakeholders around the area um, and uh, just general industry to make sure that everything's would be going in line with what, what people want and what people expect. Everything seems to be changing too. So I think keeping up to date on, on what's going on with renewables and, you know, the demand and, um, you know, making sure that we're, we're still following what, what we said, you know, is, is the flexibility and the ramp rates, everything needed two years ago, going to be the same need, you know, still. So um, just you don't want to, I guess, if, if things transform even faster, you want to make sure that you're, you're able to have a plan of attack for that. Yeah. Well, the change in administration that we recently had in, in beginning of this year, does that at all, has it affected or changed? Have you had to pivot um, basically, you know, the roadmap to that? Um, or requirements I, or anything like that? For this project, I have not, I haven't really seen an effect yet. Um, I, you know, I think having the carbon capture piece, making sure that was included, um, you know, is even more critical now. I think, you know, it's uh, um, it's the decarbonization efforts, you know, everything is kind of uh, the carbon neutrality. There's, you know, it's an intense amount of roadmaps being developed right now, you know? Um, so I haven't seen the effect, um, 
you know, I, and I still think with, you know, especially what happened in Texas, um, you know, making sure you're, you're diversifying your full portfolio, um, you know, adding that resilience, that reliability, everything is everything that, you know, the department of energy was looking at in 2018 to be important. It still seems like it's applicable now. Yeah. So it's, it, it's kind of kept the same and hopefully we'll continue to keep the same through 2030. That's not really fair, Kate. You're not really supposed to ask engineers questions about politics. I mean, I, know, right? that's I, really, I, I was, I was hesitant. I wanted to ask the same question of, of Nicole too, but uh, you know, I, from what I've seen, I, you know, she's absolutely right. I don't think there's been really much of a change within the Department of Energy when it, when it comes to its approach toward fossil fuels. I think there is a recognition there that we need them. We just need to figure out a way to deal with the carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're moving ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that when you say, you know, zero or near zero emissions, I mean, that's something that is so critical, you know, to whatever, you know, political party lines, that's kind of the focus. So having that as, you know, the goal and one of the milestones in the project, I think is so important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It seemed like there was a lot of foresight in, you know, 2018 and 2019 in the development of this. Um, So it's, yeah, it's very important to plan ahead. Yeah, definitely. So just kind of looking at, you know, the coal first, is it something that, you know, it's a day-to-day, I mean, this is a full-time effort. Is it something that's really, you know, you, you really are pushing forward each day? Or where does it kind of fall in the line of priorities? Um, yeah, so it it did feel like a, a pretty intense effort. We had an aggressive schedule, um, you know, for the concept and pre-feed development, the preliminary engineering for this. Mm-hmm. Um, now that we have a larger team and the University of Illinois is leading, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, you know, and I think we're, we're just you know, so ramping up, trying to understand um, aspects about how we would move further into this. Yeah. So um, I'm, we're kind of like, I guess, you know, it's hard to tell yeah. once things ramp up what, what it's going to be like, but I, I assume with more people involved, it, you know, it will be, uh, it won't be like an intense day-to-day thing. Um, sure. For, ev- for everybody, but we'll, we'll be talking and working together. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we were working with people out, you know, like from all sorts of different time zones yep. and, uh, you know, we're, I'm sure there'll be like collaboration at least, you know, every week, um, working together, but, yeah. um, I expect it won't be as intense now that we have a bigger team. Yeah. What do you feel some of the challenges are? Um, you know, looking, looking at the program, what do you feel the largest challenges are for you? It's kind of like on a, you know, job interview when they're like, what's your, you know, greatest weakness. (laughs) I mean, it's a big program and it's something that is going to be just huge and so great. And I mean, with that obviously comes, you know, those birthing pains and those challenges. And so I'm just curious what you feel the biggest challenges or hurdles will be to overcome to get to that 2030. Um, I think the, you know, trying to understand the approach with permitting could be, um, you know, uh, uh, something that it's hard to wrap your 
brain around right now anyways. Um, how, you know, it's just, what's the path forward for that? There's a lot of aspects and unknowns with, uh, trying to make sure there's a clear path forward. Yeah. Um, there's also, I think trying to understand the business case of, of a plant like this, how do you, how do you monetize the, um, benefits for having this reliable, resilient, flexible plant, um, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to, to quantify at this point. Um, so I think, I think that's, that's still, it's, it's that's been, a, you know, a challenge from the beginning. Um, uh, I think, you know, just optimizing, um, you know, we, in our preliminary engineering, there was with the turn down and all the flexibility, you know, making sure your carbon capture system is, you know, operating, uh, the, you know, and functioning properly was, um, you know, those are still some, um, some items we have to work through. And then, you know, I think what bar plans to be involved with a lot is the, um, indirect firing coal handling, um, fuel, you know, uh, advanced fuel controls, um, area. So, uh, you know, trying to optimize that because it's not really, you know, the carbon capture system, we have Petronova, we have different pilot sites around, uh, you know, so it's, it's further along, but then this situation, you know, with the uh, power generation, it's, it's new, you know, and so, um, just trying to flesh out the unknowns to, to make sure that for any of the gaps, any of the places that are still kind of fuzzy is, is always going to be the biggest challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Jeff, where, what are you thinking? You got any questions well, here? I feel like I'm taking over. I mean, we're, you know, the, I think the, you know, the biggest challenge I would see is just the electric market itself. You know, it's really kind of trying to uh, and kind of figure itself out right now because we've seen, you know, a couple of these situations, California last year, Texas in mid-February, where we had these power disruptions and, you know, the industry itself is, is sort of coming to terms with reliability and, and, you know, something like this where you talk about, you know, the R in first stands for resilient. Um, it's got to be reliable. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line, I think. And to, to me, that's what the industry is, like I say, coming to terms with right now. Um, we, you know, we, we keep stuffing more and more intermittent generation on the grid, but we've, we've, uh, got to appreciate the term base load. And we also have to compensate the term base load. That's something that the, the folks in the lignite industry have been you know, talking about for a long time now. Oh yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Nicole, if uh, our listeners want to go somewhere to learn more about this, do you guys have more information somewhere that they can learn about the program? Um, yes, the Department of Energy, you know, we have like a little link. I think it's just connected to the Department of Energy that they have a landing page about this. Um, uh, should I give like a, should I yeah, a URL or something to shoot, shoot it out to them? Um, just saying, you know, it's, it's a, it's a huge undertaking and it's, there's lots of, uh, you know, um, facets to it. So it's be good to learn more about it, read more about it, the program. Yeah. So, um, it's energy.gov slash F E slash coal 
hyphen first. Cool. Awesome. And we'll add that in our, in the bio here for the, for podcast uh, listeners as well to learn more. So Nicole, thank you for taking the time to visit with us. It was, man, it's um, you are incredibly smart and a lot of the stuff I'm like, wow, that is pretty dang cool. So I thank you for explaining it to us and kind of giving it to us in layman's terms here. We, we appreciate it. I, yeah, I've been working with this stuff for a while and I'm, it's so interesting. I think it's really cool to be a part of, uh, you know, transforming power generation for the future, you know? Um, so I think anyone that's involved in this, you know, for as long as I have would, would probably pick up more. So. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Jeff, thanks for being here today too. It's always good to see you And, and Nicole, thanks again for, for joining us. We appreciate it. Learned a lot. Yeah. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Mind, America's Lignite Energy podcast. For more information on Lignite Energy in North Dakota, visit lignite.com.